Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Uh, we're hearkening back in some ways to uh, the days of nostalgia here <laughs> with, with our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Woo! I'm Ben. I wanted to start with a question. Noel, I don't know if we ever talked about this. Did you ever go to summer camp? Yeah, I grew up in the Methodist church. My my dad was a choir master, music minister is what they call it officially. So I went to a lot of church summer camps, which are similar, uh, if, if mildly indoctrinating. Um, but they have, you know, swimming and uh, crafts and all the sure. usual summer camp kind of activities that we think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also that uh, undercurrent of kind of ideology that sort of plays into it, especially at an age where I wasn't sure which direction I was going in terms of like being a true believer or whatever. So always kind of felt a little off. And now thinking back, it feels even more off. You know, I had the same experience because I, I went to a lot of camps that were in retrospect because my Boy Scout troop was a bunch of like ex-Marines and ex-police or current police officers and military types. Looking back, the stuff they had us doing was pretty unsafe and probably somewhat illegal. But like you, I, I had a... I spent some time locked up in a church summer camp one year. I did not cotton to it. And I, I've just been thinking about all those activities because there are so many different kinds of summer camps. And I love that you pointed out that often in hindsight, we can see that there was an agenda to some of these things, even if the kids didn't really get it. Max, you and I were talking briefly off air about some of this. Were you a summer camp guy? Yeah, I mean, kind of in the same way that Noel was. I mean, Alex and I, like, our parents are real into the church, so we went to those, like, none of those, like, you know, oh, you're going to go off to the woods for a few months and stay away, like, fabled summer camps of the 1950s or something like mm. that. But, yeah, like, hey, go there and uh, 
play volleyball and chess and learn about Jesus Christ type summer camps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's not you know it's not too too far off from what we're talking about today. Um, NPR has a really cool story where they include the description of a 25-minute silent black-and-white archival video uh, from the U.S. National Archives that shows exactly what we're describing. In 1937, boys just frolicking and making braided bracelets and, you know, archery and fun and all of this stuff and the Catskills Mountain in upstate New York, you know, camping and, and horsing around in the mud. And like you said, Max playing chess and checkers and shooting guns and all that good stuff. And then, oh, what's that? A Nazi flag, you say? Yeah. That isn't. Pause. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. Double check. What's going on here? Rewind. In America? I yeah. don't understand. Ben, help us understand. Oh, boy. Yeah. So this is the thing. This is today's episode. We tricked you a little bit with the nostalgia of summer camps. But it is a true story, you know, and, and something that history often forgets. There was a lot of support, a surprising amount of support for Nazism in the U.S. And this was kind of normalized for some people in the 30s, in the kind of interwar years, the years after World War I, but before World War II, a lot of people who lived in different countries but had German ancestry got into the idea of forming citizen groups that would spread what they euphemistically called German virtues around mm. the world. And they were trying to get public support in their neck of the global woods for the goals of the Nazi party. And no, help me out here, uh, lean on your skills as a uh, former young German boy. This had a name. It was the German American Bund in the U.S., formed in 1936, but they had a, a German name as well. Ah, yes, the America Deutsche Volksbund. There it so, is. Uh, you may recall, Ben, you and I participated in a really great interview with a um, journalist by the name of Jonathan Katz, not Dr. Katz from, from uh, Comedy Central fame, who wrote a book about a guy named Smedley Butler. Um, we don't have to go into that now. It's a really cool story in and of itself that may well be worth uh, an episode of this show, too. But um, he talks a lot about the Bund and how it, in some small way, led to the formation of the House Un-American Committee, or HUAC. We love a good uh, acronym here on Ridiculous History, which, of course, was about ferreting out uh, communists uh, and socialists, you know, um, hiding in plain sight. But yeah, it's true. It was That was because of the idea of this insidious, you know, outward uh, influence that was uh, potentially corrupting the youth. Yeah, absolutely. There was a concern of the idea of a fifth column, whether that be Nazis, socialists, communists. Weirdly enough, during this era of American history, a lot of people didn't have a problem with fascism, but you'll have to check out that interview. That's right. It was kind of the flavor of the week in a lot of ways. Uh It was sort of like an alternative sort of uh, not progressive. That's definitely, well, I mean, it could have been seen that way by some, that it was a, you know, the idea that um, the American dream and capitalism were sort of a failed experiment. And there were some looking to protect what was theirs, a.k.a. the super rich, that were looking for another system that might uh, safeguard (laughs) those things, a.k.a. their own money. Um, But that's, Mm -hmm. again, a discussion for another day. The goal, or at least the... Uh, membership of the uh, America Deutsche Volksbund, we'll call it the Bund moving forward, uh, was um, that it was described itself as an organization of patriotic Americans, 
of German stock. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Ben, the goal was to proliferate. What was it? German ideals or German, German virtue? Virtue. Ooh, that word is, 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 is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not talking about postcards of Berlin or anything like that. They're talking about something much more dangerous. Yeah. The, uh, HUAC was, uh, looking for so-called fifth columns, a fifth mm-hmm. columns, kind of cold war term, a group within a country at war who are sympathetic to, or working for the enemies, but that hadn't quite reached a boil yet. Adolf Hitler, 1930s. You know who he is. We don't need to give you an intro on that particular supervillain. Uh, he was over across the pond in Germany at this time. He was trying to fire up the population of Germany to be more aggro, right, to other nations, to start invading and persecuting minorities in Germany itself. And Nazis were already doing horrific things in the country. But there were Nazi sympathizers in the Bund in the U.S. who had started these summer camps because they wanted Nazism to be like <laughs> Wu-Tang. They wanted it to be for the kids. And, yeah. uh, that, and also nothing clip. to fuck with. Right. And that clip that we we mentioned at the top is footage of an actual Nazi youth camp, Nazi summer camp in Wyndham, New York. And this was just one of several that came out across the country. They were sponsored by German loyalists, uh, especially like the leader of the Bund, a man named Fritz Kuhn. Uh, And, you know, we'll get into We'll get into some of their numbers, but just know, like with any extremist group, there's a lot of debate on how many people are actually members versus how many people the Bund claimed were members. Well, let's not forget. I mean, if anything positive could be said of Hitler. No, that's not how we want to frame that at all. He was a really good marketer. You know, him and his, you know, Goebbels and his whole team, they understood how to change hearts and minds. You know, like your description, the idea of them firing up their base uh, in a country that had been ravaged by the First World War. They were sort of ripe for the picking to sort of create these nationalistic ideas. Uh, They were a little bit of an easier target and a lot of bit of an easier target. But let's not forget that Hitler was thinking big. He wanted to take Take over the world. And in order to do that, he needed to change hearts and minds. And what better way to do that than with the kiddies, uh, with the uh, artifice of beaded necklaces and bracelets and archery and swimming and fun and Nazi salutes on U.S. soil. Right. And learning uh, pro-Nazi songs, propaganda, stuff like that. There was a post on the National Archives, uh, which describes how the Bund grew to include more than 70 local chapters. And they also say that the probably one of the best known examples of the organization's activities or one of their biggest things they did was a pro-Nazi rally in 1939 at Madison Square Garden. Wow. 20,000 people showed up and they just, you know, were on one level or another, sympathetic to the aims of the Nazi party. And this is happening while uh, (laughs) this is happening while Hitler declares war on Poland and then also is on some around and find out with Britain and France. 
Well, and I mean, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, you're the uh, international affairs guy. But I mean, the U.S. Had, after World War One had kind of decided to take a step back a little bit and maybe be a little more isolationist and was going to be hard pressed to jump right in to, you know, come to the aid of these other countries unless it was just like dire and what it ultimately became, which was a humanity. They, they, they just couldn't not do something at the, once we discovered what was really going on in Germany. So at this point, America's sort of turning a bit of a blind eye, unless I'm oversimplifying. Well, you know, I don't think you're oversimplifying too much, man, because there were there was a stark division. There were people saying, let's get our own house in order before we start sending American citizens to die overseas in foreign countries. And then there were other people who were saying, well, this is a matter of moral compulsion. We Mm -hmm. as a moral and just society must fight injustice. And as we know, that changed. Uh, especially after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. But this is before then. This is before then when there are still a lot of people who are kind of doing a a sort of dithering dance of centrism when they're saying, well, you know, it's not, we can't be so quick to judge. And these folks would end up sending their kids to these camps. Uh, There would be anywhere between, uh, I think, eight. Eight would be the youngest you would have a kid there. There were camps for boys and girls. Uh, The kids would be like 8 to 18 or so. And it's really chilling. It looks like an alternate reality. It reminds me of the man in the high castle to see this footage of these kids in official uniforms, waving banners for Hitler Mm -hmm. youth. It's, It's strange because it makes you wonder how history could have played out differently. It does, and it also brings to mind the um, excellent movie Jojo Rabbit um, Mm -hmm. that shows the kind of Hitler youth camps in Germany, which, you know, wouldn't have been that remarkably different from these. Uh, Maybe a little bit heavier-handed in terms of, like, you know, uh, pushing the narrative and the indoctrination levels and all that, and also, like, the way they depict it in the movie, they're, like, throwing hand grenades and stuff like that. I don't know that these camps were full-on boot camps where they were doing, like, weapons drills. They would have had to, I think, hide it a little more more than that uh, in, in these American versions, but the ulterior motive still holds true. And we started to see these pop up all over the place because, as you said, we had 70 chapters of the Bund across the United States. And so we started to see these chapters of these camps popping up kind of near the major metro area hubs, you know, across the U.S. Um, We had Camp Hindenburg in Grafton, Wisconsin, near Milwaukee, um, which was another Nazi youth uh, family camp is what they referred to as. Um, And kids were, in fact, uh, dressed in Nazi uniforms. And they were doing some military-type drills and marching and formations and, you know, inspections and all of that stuff and these flag-raising ceremonies. So I might have been soft selling a little bit. It may well have looked a lot like what it looked like in Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. And shout out, of course, to Taika Watiti, who is by far and large, if you haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, the best uh represent the like the best actor to play that role. <laughs> I uh, it was such a third rail Incredible. To, to play that role. And he hand, handled it beautifully. It manages to be funny and sad and beautiful and also paint if stylized, a pretty real picture of what it was like in that country mm-hmm. at that time in history. Yeah, through the eyes of a child. Yeah, this this is interesting because the Bund knew there would be a limit to how far they could go before they were regarded as like um, 
the way you would regard a secessionist militia or like domestic terrorism, although they may not have used that word at the time. So the Bund denied that they were teaching these kids Nazi ideology. Again, they hid behind the linguistic PR shield of German virtues, but they were they were teaching them Nazi stuff. So if you look at just the broad strokes of this before we dig in a little more, you'll see that by the time World War II broke out, and these camps and retreats or whatever you want to call them were shut down, there were at least 16 that we know about in the historical record. And they were all over the place from L.A. to New Jersey, you name it. And there was this crazy moment. Uh, You can find this mentioned in unwrittenrecord.blogs.archives.gov in the National Archives. One of these films has a, uh, a little intertitle kind of thing, interstitial thing that pops up where it has the line, German boy, you also belong to us. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. But Ben, I was once this young German boy. I'm glad Does that you mean I belong out. to them? No, no, because you weren't born in the 30s. Okay, okay. thank I God. <laughs> Gave me a fright. Yeah, it's super, super, super sinister and unsettling. By the way, I wanted to backtrack to something you mentioned a little while ago about that, um, what do you call it, rally, I guess, at Madison Square Garden mm -hmm. um, that was attended by, I think, 20,000 plus people. They Nazi saluted to a giant likeness of George Washington. Uh, oh, yeah. Famous was considered, Nazi. Well, he was, he was beloved by the Nazis, and I didn't know that. He was considered to be like a fascist by the Nazi party. Uh, In a good way. Fascist is a compliment. It, it is a compliment them, but from them. But why would they have thought that, Ben? Is it because of the idea of imperialism or like was he a little bit more hawkish? Like what about George Washington could be construed with fascism? That's interesting because you can see a great code switch program on this. Uh, they, they ran a piece on this back in 2019 about that Madison Square Garden uh, rally. It's called When Nazis Took Manhattan. I think it was on All Things Considered. And I was also confused by this because they definitely, they definitely were praising Hitler and they were definitely saying crazy anti-Semitic stuff like stop Jewish domination of Christian, like all the racist stuff you would imagine Nazis would do. They were doing that at the time, but I'm, I think what they were maybe doing, and this is a, an opinion Code Switch has as well, I think what they were doing was trying to have some slick branding and trying mm. to make people think, well, this is actually what the Founding Fathers would have always wanted. So yeah. since George Washington can't come back from the grave and say, you guys are nuts and bananas, they're just trying to put that ideology upon him. I see. That does make a lot more sense. Because, I mean, I know he was an imperfect dude and the slave owner and all that and, you know, had real bad teeth. But I have never really gotten any whiffs of, uh, of, of fascism from the guy. You know, I also don't believe he would have understood the term, right? He would sure. have understood dictatorship, maybe, or absolute monarchy. But be that as it may, he was not there to disagree with, uh, disagree with them. And this was powerful branding for them. At this point, we have to introduce uh, a wonderful author, Arnie Bernstein, who in 2013 wrote a book called Swastika Nation, Fritz Kuhn, and the Rise and Fall of the German-American Bund. And Bernstein is one of the researchers who points out the discrepancy in enrollment. Because according to Bernstein's work, Bund membership never got higher than 25,000 people. But the entire time, the organization claimed it was much, much bigger. Yeah, that's pretty common. Um, he also goes on to say that the majority of the kids that were attending these camps were the grandchildren or children of German immigrants and naturalized American citizens who were themselves members of the Bund. 
and you know, again, it was kind of a community thing, right? It was like, hey, send your kids to camp, get them out of your hair for the summer. I mean, in the same way that that church camps are that way, while still having this underlying kind of purpose. Yeah, I mean, not to jump in here, it's like you know, you uh, kind of like you know, advertise it as being like, oh yeah, like kids gain skills, you know, have fun, build relationships. Might believe in Nazism, but great, yeah, <laughs> right. And that, you know, that happens sometimes. Like I had been in the past, I've been in things that were weekend outings where you get to do stuff that kids think is cool. Like, oh, we're going to get to go to a shooting range. We're going to shoot guns. We're going to learn all this fast cars, danger, fire knives stuff. And then partway through, you're like, I think these folks might be a militia. I think that's a lot of mm-hmm. camo. And that that's happened to me. And I was, you know, I was a kid. I had no idea what their larger ideological motives are. And we have to say cultural, this is so weird. This is not a defense of Nazi summer camps. Cultural summer camps continue to be a thing in the U.S. and across the world. Like it's like, imagine if you are, if you, you if you have a kid who's interested in learning Japanese you can send them to a Japanese summer camp and they'll have this awesome language immersion opportunity. These things aren't necessarily evil, but what the Bund was doing was tremendously manipulative. And it shows us that history sometimes is on a knife edge. Uh, these things, I, I said it earlier, but they could have played out entirely differently. If you went to one and let's say you're some kind of like inspector, right? And you're Uncle Sam has sent you there to make sure there's just German values, no like Nazi stuff. Uh, you would you would at first see a place that just had regular summer camp things. You know, you're making friendship bracelets, you're building fires, you're telling stories. You gotta you gotta swim, buddy, for safety and all that. But the express purpose of this, even though the Bund did not state it publicly, the express primary purpose of this was indoctrination to make kids good little Aryans loyal first to the Bund, but then also to Fritz Kuhn, the leader of the Bund, and then, of course, to Adolf Hitler. Yeah, by by proxy, I guess, right? It's like a chain of loyalty, you know? Um, one kind of feeds into the next. And, you know, w- what's the thing we always say, Ben, like usually in terms of social media, if you're not paying for something, chances are you're the product. You know what right. I mean? Like that, yeah. these kids are a product. They're being turned out, essentially, uh, under the guise of free summer camp. And uh, again, I- I'm sure a lot of the parents that sent their kids knew exactly what was going on, but some probably didn't. And at the time, Nazism didn't have the sting that it does now because, you know, with the Holocaust and, and uh, Germany under this uh, regime in general, there's a lot of questions about who knew what when. Um, and, and, and a lot of people that could have easily talked themselves into believing it was just, a, a you know, about loyalty to their country uh, without realizing the atrocities that were going on, even though, you know, it became more and more clear as time went on. Mm-hmm. Even when people wanted to bury their heads in the sand, which ostriches don't actually do. Ostrich True. facts. So, uh, so there's, this reminds me of something, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's, um, informative for our conversation today in the like 1960s in probably even more recently, the Klan, the Ku Klux Klan would try to indoctrinate people by having public events and giving them hot dogs. Like Mm -hmm. you would, you would go to a, and I know this because people who experienced it have told me you would hear these stories where 
you know, like picture there's a small town somewhere in middle America and there's a big to do because there's going to be a gathering from a group of local concerned citizens who are not going to tell you they're the clan until like you get there. And, you, and I'm you, like, I like hot dogs. Right. Hot dogs are delicious. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is sign up to support, sign up to show your support for these concerned citizens. And then boom, you, you can have all the hot dogs you want. Seems like a fair trade to me, Ben. Yeah, until uh, you try to join the military or something and you're on record as being a member of an extreme supremacist disorganization. So, mm-hmm. like, people can be tricked. And it's very important to note that a lot of these children, I would argue the majority of these children, didn't really have agency in these decisions, right? The tale is old as time. Kids don't want to go to summer camp and their parents make them. Mm-hmm. Even though, even though they typically forge some of the most long-lasting friendships of their lives and experience first love, you know, and learn a couple of skills while they're at it. So, you know, kids, yeah. go to summer camp. Just not Nazi summer camp. Yeah, just... Or don't go to summer just, camp. Do whatever you want, kids. <laughs> I don't care. It's summer. Do what you want. Yeah. Um, and if your parents give you a tough time, tell them Ben, Nolan, Max said it was fine. I'll write a note. No, <laughs> I don't no, know just, how just, just Ben said it's fine. Only Max ben. said it's yep. fine. Max said it's he his did. favorite thing. He said it with his body language. <laughs> Jonathan Strickland said it was fine. Yeah. There we go. That okay. That's a Jonathan Strickland at iHeartRadio.com. Yes. Yes. Our complaint department. Send your or complaints is it media? To him. Uh, who cares? Who knows? It's a mystery. But what's not a mystery is what ended up happening with these camps. We already, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of not really much of a surprise that they ended up being completely shut down, you know, once uh, all of the stuff that we're talking about kind of came to light in terms of Hitler's mission. Yeah, yeah. And dirty stuff about the camps came out themselves. Even Nazism yep. aside, um, Bernstein shows that the inten- the attendees, like the kids, were sometimes physically abused. They were used for physical labor uh, without their agreement. And this didn't come to light until those congressional hearings, which you can learn more about in that NPR article Noel and I mentioned at the top. So as you said, Noel, people are starting to get some bad vibes about this whole Nazi thing. And they're starting to think, I don't know, man, maybe that's not quite what George Washington would have wanted. You know, they're, they're thinking of it in those terms. And this is where we see this connection, because as the U.S. began to think more and more of Nazi Germany as this dangerous global power that needed to be stopped, they also started saying, well, do we have our own foxes in the hen house here? Because, you know, these summer camps are teaching people to be Nazis. Are Nazis not our enemies? And that's what leads to the the inception or the creation of the House Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC, uh, and ultimately McCarthyism with the Red Scare and all that stuff. McCarthyism of the Red Scare fame. Indeed. Um, by the way, just a total miniature tangent. I recently subscribed to the Criterion channel um, mm-hmm. and I've just been going down these amazing, you know, old weird art movie rabbit holes. And uh, I watched an interview with the actor Sterling Hayden, who played uh, General Ripper in uh, Dr. Strangelove. He was in Kubrick's first or one of Kubrick's first films, The Killing. 
been in a bunch of other stuff like John Houston movies and all that, but there's a really cool little interview with him. It's like 25 minute interview with him, like in his, you know, he's probably in the seventies standing on a balcony and I think San Francisco, but he was one of the people, one of the actors who informed on fellow actors. He was himself a socialist oh. and like actually named names. And he mm. talks about that in this interview about how much shame he felt for that and all of this stuff. So really interesting view into the, uh, into that period and into like kind of the mind of like of this, you know, big old Hollywood kind of luminary. Criterion is awesome. So as, cool. as the Templar said to Indy, you have chosen wisely. So many different paths to go down, whatever you're into. I've been on a bit of a noir kick lately. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, they have an amazing copy of Carnival of Souls. Yep. I've yes. never seen that, actually. And I know that's, that's one of your favorite films, Ben. So I got to yeah. I gotta put that on my list next. You know, uh, I know a lot about Carnival of Souls now. I know. I listened to your episode on Ephemeral. It was one of my, my favorites that you guys have done. Also, the trash episode is really good. I forgot to tell you that. Um, but yes, Carnival of Souls is actually one of the reasons that I finally ponied up the cash for Criterion. Um, also, everyone, check out Ephemeral. It is an amazing podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast from. Always be yes, close. you can. Yeah, you can. Uh, we're fans, and I think um, I think we've, we've all, Max works on it, we've all appeared at some point, and maybe one day Ephemeral will uh, explore the homegrown Nazism. Dude, this is the most cinematic of stories that we've covered in recent. I'm surprised there's not a film based in one of these weird American Nazi summer camps. It just feels, doesn't it feel like an incredible setting for like a, a narrative film? I mean, a documentary mm-hmm. would be cool too, but I feel like there's so many stories that can be told. I and mean, picture the bullying and the horrible right. behavior, you know, that these kids would have uh, exhibited likely towards one another, because that's one thing that you're kind of almost forced to be the hardest one. It's almost like a prison environment uh, in some of these cases. We mentioned the abuse. They were also forced to do like hard labor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And imagine what these kids are taking with them back to school, like for the ridiculous history movie studio. I think stories do occur here. Actually, maybe I'll write a short story of a summer camp here because um, I've got the Bernstein book. But but uh, this is a much darker film, I think, already yes. than the Trans-Siberian uh, Ostrich Heist, which I still think is just uh, our Ocean's Eleven. But uh, <laughs> what we what we see here is that the Bund was getting less and less popular in the public eye. People were still participating in things, but they weren't talking about it because it was no longer, you know, just a, an eccentric thing to be a Nazi. It, you were the enemy, and rightly so. And Bernstein says that the, the big moment, the big death knell of the Bund was the arrest of Fritz Kuhn, the leader, in 1939. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? 
Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like, uh, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man, and funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. He got thrown in, not for like ideological stuff, not for being a Nazi, he got put into prison for forgery and embezzlement. So class act all around, Mr. K. Yeah. And with that, you know, sounded the, the death knell more or less of the Bund and uh, the summer camps um, as it, it all kind of went hand in hand with, you know, these stories that were trickling out and uh, the days and, and weeks and months leading up to American involvement in World War II. The writing had been on the wall for a minute. And so, of course, even before the camps themselves were shut down, people who were members of the Bund, who maybe, again, we don't know what people knew when they knew it, weren't wise to what was going on back home uh, in Germany. Um, and as the reputation of Nazism started taking a dive, they started leaving the Bund in droves. And consequently, their kids went along with them, of course. Yeah, yeah. And so membership is declining 
you could say that they ended in 1940, but they kind of continued into 1941. And by the time they ended, these were the only people left were like the hardcore died in the wool Nazis, the loyalists. And the Bund officially disbanded just a couple days after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and the moment that Germany declared war against the United States, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because there's only so much you can spin with good PR. And uh, being a fan club of a country that has just gone to war with your country, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. But if you do want a good look at the camps, you can see some of the ruins of these today. There's one... um, there's one in particular in Wayne, New Jersey, right? There's a guy who's, who's photographed the what's left of the camps. And you can, you can see them now. They don't look particularly um, well-kept. Ah, Wayne, New Jersey, home of Sopranos filming location, Fountains of Wayne, which is a fountain store. Also, the place that the band Fountains of Wayne named oh. themselves after. Um, and it, it's interesting. We have, like you said, there's uh, uh, some posts on a website this guy Bill Maloney has. And on the website, he comments on what it felt like walking through the kind of weird, overgrown ruins of this site. Uh, and he described it as puzzlement and discomfort that a Hitler youth camp could be in any way acceptable in the U.S., even before the war. It is especially disturbing that it is so close to home and that the people involved would have been our neighbors. Maybe some still are. Uh, And this is also from that NPR piece that you mentioned. And if you want to see pictures of uh, some of these uh, sites back in the day at the height of their powers, check out this article on the Atlantic, American Nazis in the 1930s, The German-American Bund by Alan Taylor. Mm -hmm. And as for what happened to those campers, you know, many are lost to history. You can understand why it's not something a it bunch of people just, yeah. would brag about, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's like a sit at grandpa's knee and hear about the Nazi camp story. But we know a few things about the more famous or infamous members of the German-American Bund, such as Gustav Wilhelm Kerkter, who worked as a power plant designer in New York City. He was a member of the Bund. He had uh, been one of the leaders at a camp in New York. And in 1942, the FBI arrested him for being a German spy. When people tell you who they are, you should believe them, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny. You mentioned the whole fifth column thing and mm-hmm. the, the the fact that this whole bund, you know, largely led to the formation of the House on american Committee. Because they were looking for people like that, that were trying to dismantle our system from within. And it wasn't complete paranoid uh, delusion. You know, there were people out to do harm. But the problem is when you paint with too broad a brush and you create an environment of like informing on your neighbor and this sort of like, you know, super hostile paranoia, you get a lot of like um, collateral damage. Even if even if your heart your heart or whatever is in the right place in trying to seek out these elements that are in fact very toxic and damaging to, you know, American life. Mm -hmm. And as we know, MacArthur was far from a perfect person, but yeah, you, you're making a great point. There is a complex situation. And then what happened to Fritz Kuhn? Well, in 1939, as we said, he was convicted of embezzlement. He went to prison while he was in prison. The U S revoked his uh, American citizenship. He was interned at a camp in Texas, a federal camp, not a Nazi summer camp. And then he was later deported to Germany in 1945. So he made it out. 
But a lot of these folks who attended these family retreats or these um, summer camps as children, we don't know who they are. And we may never know because we still don't know exactly, other than like estimates from people like Bernstein, we don't know exactly how many people were members of the Bund. But at this point, I think we can all safely say Nazism is very bad. I don't think that's, I hope that's not a hot take anymore. And yeah, I would like to think not as well, my friend. But I think we can also say that we're very fortunate in the U.S. that the, the public uh, and the government, as imperfect as they may be, recognize the threat that this kind of stuff could, uh, this kind of stuff could hold. And now, you know, it's a question of a pendulum. How far is too far to swing? Because we've also, you know, we saw how HUAC went out of control. And we know that there's been great debate before about uh, the presence of like militias or what this, what kind of ideology is someone's right to have versus when it becomes dangerous or indeed seditious, you know? And I, I think that's a conversation that continues today. Yeah, it certainly is. Like you always say, Ben, uh, history is a flat circle. No, wait, a, pal- a palimpsest? Was that palimpsest, the word? yes. Yeah. History is a palimpsest. Tell us, can, tell us uninitiated what that word means. You can write over... So a palimpsest comes from the days of, of yore when paper or parchment or whatever you'd be writing on was like much more expensive, right? There weren't drugstores. You couldn't just go buy a college-ruled notebook. Also, college ruled over wide ruled forever. I said it. Uh, Hot take. (laughs) We'll see. Um, So if you were working in an industry or, you know, this happened a lot in um, religious orders, you would write something and you would need to find some more paper to write something at a later date and time. What you would do is you would remove the ink from the thing you had already written on and make it look like a blank page. And then you would just write over where that old writing used to be. But the impressions made by the original act of putting the quill into the paper remain. Mm -hmm. So you could read the message beneath it. And I think that's a wonderful analogy for the evolution of history. Kind of like in a detective film where like the detective, you know, takes the notepad in the hotel room and scribbles on it with pencil lightly so you can see the uh, indentations of what was written on the piece of paper above the one that still remains. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The noir stuff is paying off. This totally is, is, man. <laughs> this is where, oh, wait, Max, Max, you got something on your mind. You yeah, a- I'm just thinking of a text message you sent, Nolan. I, I don't know if I can say it on air, but earlier this week about invisible ink and <laughs> people producing their own ink, and I don't think we can go there yet. Maybe yeah, just, it's like it's like people are becoming human squids. Let's just leave it at that. It's yeah, and um, <laughs> well, spycraft is really out of the box. What we'll just have to say is if you think you're in a spy or tradecraft situation, check the smell. Of the things you get sent. Gross. Okay, we've got a, yeah, this is a family show. So uh, I, I suggest that we we call it a day. Uh, we give a shout out to everybody who's been to a weird summer camp. I'd love to hear some of the, the strangest ones. You know, I was always, I don't know about you guys, but to your point about people making friends, I was always low-key envious of some of my friends who grew up as Unitarian Universalists and they all hung out with each other at this UU camp and they're still all friends. I'm like the one guy who didn't go. 
You know, if I ever had like a brush with religion in my younger days, it was because I had some friends that went to the Unitarian Church and they would like host like rock, hardcore shows and like, you know, kind of yeah. alternative local rock bands would play there. And it was just so cool. And everyone was so nice. I almost borderline wanted to like be in that club, but I just can't make the full buy-in. Even though it's like, you know, it's one of these religions that kind of takes bits and pieces from lots of different faiths and stuff. And some people look at it more as like a uh, philosophy rather than like a full-on, you know, hardcore religious belief. So I always like yeah. those folks too. There are lots of atheists and agnostics who attend uh, Unitarian Universalist activities. Precisely. Yeah. And uh, we want to hear your stories of strange summer camp experiences. Drop us a line, ridiculous at iheartmedia.com. Thanks, as always, to the one and only Mr. Max Williams. Thanks, of course, to Casey Pegram, Le Bouche, who has been in contact with us regarding his mm -hmm. activities and is doing quite well and can't wait to uh, chat with us on the air soon. Oh, that's going to happen sooner than later. Huge thanks to Alex Williams, who composed this theme. Christopher Hasiotis, Eves Jeffcoats, Here in Spirit, Jonathan Strickland, the notorious and dubious quizster. It's been a while since he's Zoom-bombed us, so um, maybe we'll, like, uh, you know, write our intentions on a piece of paper and light it on fire and put it in, like, a, you know, some sort of ceremonial vessel and see if he um, materializes. I kind of miss the guy. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Uh, he he and I are still uh, still taking shots at each other on Twitter, so check that out. <laughs> and uh, where can people uh, view these Twitter shots that are being fired, Ben? Oh yeah, you can you can learn more about the research I'm doing for any kind of secret adventures as well as misadventures over on Twitter, where I'm at benbolinhsw.com. You can find me on Instagram, where I'm at benbolin b o w l i n n Noel. You have an Instagram as well. I do. I have a Twitter. It's at Embryonical, but I'm a lurker. I never post, um, but I just figured I would say it so people don't think I'm a total Luddite. No, I'm mainly active on Instagram, where I like to post lots of memes and uh, music crap that I'm working on and all of that good stuff. And you can find that at How Now Noel Brown. Maximilian, how about you, my man? Oh, yeah. I'm on uh, Twitter, mostly lurking and trolling Ben in the background, but um, I am uh, at ATL underscore Max Williams. He's a sinister internet fellow. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated.